Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya In Gainesville, Florida, and we're reading from Canto 7, Chapter 4. Hiranyakashipu terrorizes the universe, and we're going to be going through text 30 to 43. So, you also chant these verses together? Just read them. Um, oh, that's Is that what you normally do? Yeah. Okay, we're all together? Everybody? Yes. Seven four three. Okay, and we read the translations all together. Yes. Okay. Hiranyakashipu had four wonderful, well-qualified, well-qualified sons, of whom the one named Kulada was the best. Indeed, Kulada was the reservoir of all transcendental qualities, because he was an unalloyed devotee of the personality of Godhead. The qualities of Kulada, the son of Hiranyakashipu, are described herewith. He was completely cultured as a qualified brahmana, having very good character and being determined to understand the absolute truth. He had full control of his senses and mind. Like the super soul, he was kind to every living entity and was the best friend of everyone. To respectable persons, he acted exactly like a menial servant. To the poor, he was like a father. To his equals, he was attached like a sympathetic brother. And he considered his teachers, spiritual masters, and older godbrothers to be as good as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He was completely free from unnatural pride that might have arisen from his good education, riches, beauty, aristocracy, and so on. Although Prahlad Maharaj was born in a family of Asuras, he himself was not an Asura, but a great devotee of Lord Vishnu. Unlike the other Asuras, he was never envious of Vaishnavas. He was not agitated when put into danger, and he was neither directly nor indirectly interested in the food activities described in the Vedas. Indeed, he considered everything material to be useless, and therefore he was completely devoid of material desires. He always controlled his senses and life there, and being of steady intelligence and determination, he subdued all lusty desires. O King, Allah Maharaj's good qualities are still glorified by learned saints and Vaishnavas, as all good qualities are always found existing in the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They also exist forever in his devotee, Prahlad Maharaj. In any assembly where there are discourses about saints and devotees, O King Yudhisthira, even the enemies of the demons, namely the demigods, love to speak of you with Sait Maharaja as an example of a great devotee. 
who could list the innumerable transcendental qualities of Prahlad Maharaj. He had unflinching faith in Vasudeva, Lord Krishna, the son of Vasudeva, and unalloyed devotion to him. His attachment to Lord Krishna was natural because of his previous devotional service. Although his good qualities cannot be enumerated, they prove that he was a great soul. From the very beginning of his childhood, Lord Maharaj was uninterested in childish playthings. Indeed, he gave them up altogether and remained silent and dull, being fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness. Since his mind was always affected by Krishna consciousness, he could not understand how the world goes on, being fully absorbed in the activities of sense gratification. Feeling the touch of the Lord's lotus hands, he became spiritually jubilant and remained silent, his hairs standing on end and tears gliding down from his half-closed eyes because of his love for the Lord. Because of his association with perfect unalloyed devotees who had nothing to do with anything material, Prahlad Maharaj constantly engaged in the service of the Lord's lotus feet. By seeing his bodily features when he was in perfect ecstasy, persons very poor in spiritual understanding became purified. In other words, Prahlad Maharaj bestowed upon them transcendental bliss. My dear King Yudhisthira, the demon Hirani Kashibu tormented this exalted fortunate devotee, although Prahlad was his own son. So we're going to go to text 37. Nyasta kridana kobalo, Nyasta kridana kobalo, Jadavatan manastaya, Jadavatan manastaya, Krishna graha grihitatma, Krishna graha grihitatma, Naveda jagadidrisham, Naveda jagadidrisham, Nyasta, having given up, Kridanakya. All sportive activities or tendencies for childhood play. Balaha, a boy. Jadavat, as a doll without activities. Tat Manastaya, by being fully absorbed in Krishna. Krishna Graha, by Krishna who is like a strong influence. Like a graha or planetary influence. 
Grahita Atma, whose mind was fully attracted, Na, Nat, Veda, understood, Jagat, the entire world, Idrisham, like this. Prabhupada's translation and purport. From the very beginning of his childhood, Prahlad Maharaj was uninterested in childish playthings. Indeed, he gave them up altogether and remained silent and dull, being fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness. Since his mind was always affected by Krishna consciousness, he could not understand how the world goes on being fully absorbed in the activities of sense gratification. Purport. Prahlad Maharaja is the vivid example of a great person fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, Majja 8, 274, it is said, Savara Jangama Deka, Deke, Na Deke Taramuti, Saratra Hayanija, Ishta Deva Spurti. Ah. Does anybody have any idea what the context is for this particular verse? Majja 8, does anybody know what is happening in Majja 8? Good guess. Nope. Okay, you want to try? You want to try? I'm guessing. Okay. That's all right. A Krishna conscious person, although they're doing material activities and not affected by it. That's a very good guess, but sorry. Okay, this Vajra 8 is, is an extremely important chapter in well, Chaitanya. Well, it is Lord Chaitanya's pastimes. That you got from the Chaitanya Charitamita part. Okay, so this is part of your homework, home fun, is to look up what Vajra 8 is about. It's a discussion between Lord Chaitanya and somebody where they keep going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. All right, what is that? Ramananda Roy. And at the end of that discussion, where they're going higher and higher and higher, Ramananda Roy says, who are you? I thought you were a sannyasi, but now I'm looking at you, and I'm not sure who you are. I think you're Krishna. And then Lord Chaitanya says to him, Oh, you, and people like you, you see Krishna everywhere. Krishna everywhere. So that is this verse. You see Krishna everywhere. So. A fully Krishna conscious person, although situated in the material world, does not see anything but Krishna anywhere and everywhere. This is the sign of a Mahabhagavata. The Mahabhagavata sees Krishna everywhere because of his attitude of pure love for Krishna. This is confirmed in the Brahma Samhita 538. Now, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he's talking to Ramananda Roy, right after he says to him, Ah, you see Krishna everywhere. <laughs> it's like if someone says, You're a really nice person. You say, Oh, you see everything. You, you think everybody's nice. You understand? <laughs> you only see good qualities in everybody. And Mahaprabhu quotes this next verse to Ramananda Roy as evidence. So that's very important. When you make some statement of truth, you should also back it up with something. Right? This is even true in ordinary life. So many of you are students, and you know when you write a paper, if you make a statement, you're supposed to have a citation. Yes? You know that, right? 
correct? Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. If you're going to make a statement of philosophical truth, you have a citation. So even God, even God does that. So he's quoting from the Brahma Samhita. Premanjana Charita. Let me take this together. This is a really, really nice verse. Premanjana Charita Bhakti Vilochanena Santa Sadaiva Ritayeshu Vilokayanti Yadshanava Sundara Machinja Guna Swarupam so Lochana, let's go back for a minute. Go back up. Lochana's eyes and prema is love. Anjana is a medicine that you might put on your eyes, like if you have pink eye or something, you might put some medicine on your eyes. Santa is the devotees. Sadaiva, Iva means Sada means always, Iva means certainly. Ridayeshu. Anybody know what rid means? Heart. The Lokayanti, we have the Loka again, they're always saying, Yam Shaimasundar. So Shaimasundar is a name for Krishna, he who is dark and beautiful. Achincha Guna, so un- inconceivable Guna qualities, Swarupam, his form. One always sees his form of inconceivable qualities in the heart when the eyes have an ointment of love. Going on, I worship the primeval Lord Govinda, who is always seen by the devotee whose eyes are anointed with the pulp of love. He is seen in his eternal form of Shaima Sundar, situated within the heart of the devotee. An exalted devotee or Mahatma, who is rarely to be seen, remains fully conscious of Krishna and constantly sees the Lord within the core of his heart. It is sometimes said that when one is influenced by evil stars like Saturn, Rahu, or Ketu, he cannot make advancement in any prospective activity. In just the opposite way, Pallad Maharaj was influenced by Krishna, the supreme planet. Does anybody remember the Sanskrit from the verse without looking? Krishna Graha, yes. And thus he could not think of, materi- of the material world and live without Krishna consciousness. That is the sign of a Mahabhagavata. Even if one is an enemy of Krishna, a Mahabhagavata sees him to be also engaged in Krishna's service. So just like we see that even the criminals... They're in the jail, they're still serving the country, right? They're criminals, but they're still acting according to the laws of the country when they're in the jail. So that way the Mahabhagavata sees even demons, they're still under the laws and the energy of God. Another crude example is that everything appears yellow to the jaundiced eye. Similarly to a Mahabhagavata, everyone but himself appears to be engaged in Krishna's service. Pallad Maharaj is the approved Mahabhagavata, the supreme devotee. In the previous verse, it was stated that he had natural attachment, naisargika ratihi. Ratihi means attachment. Does anyone know who the personality of Rati is? She's a person. Rata? Well, ultimately, yeah. There is another, there's a goddess named Rati. She's part of Krishna's family. She's Krishna's daughter-in-law. My son is Prajumna. yes. Prajumna is Cupid, and his wife's name is Rati. So, uh, Rati is the wife of Cupid. And the word Rati means great attachment. The symptoms of such natural attachment for Krishna are described in this verse. Although Prahlad Maharaj was only a boy, he had no interest in playing, as stated in Srimad Bhagavatam 11.242, Viraktir Anyata Cha. The symptom of perfect Krishna consciousness is that one loses interest in all material activities. 
For a small boy to give up playing is impossible. For Pallad Maharaja, being situated in first-class devotional service, was always absorbed in a trance of Krishna consciousness. Just as a materialistic person is always absorbed in thoughts of material gain, a Mahabhagavat like Prahlad Maharaj is always absorbed in thoughts of Krishna. So this verse is really giving us the key to achieving everything that we want. Here we see that somebody who's the son of the ruler of the universe has no interest in anything in the universe because he's satisfied. That's what we're all looking for. We're all looking to be satisfied. We think that we can become satisfied by adjusting our material circumstances. Isn't it? If we get the right house and the right partner and the right job and the right phone and the right car and the right friends, we live in the right climate, you know, the right clothes, or whatever it is, or we go on the right vacation. We have a whole list of all of these things depending on who we are, you know. One person may say it's the right vacations, another person may say it's the right car, whatever it may be. But we're thinking that if I could just set up the material energy in the way that I like, then I'd be satisfied. Does that work? No, why doesn't it work? Yeah? Krishna explains that the material desires are like fire, and so feeding a fire and just continues to go on and on. Okay, it never, it's never satisfied. And we find that, right? People have a perfectly good phone and they go buy a new one. Right? They'll stand in line for three days or something. So it's like that. You know, or people have 40 sets of clothes, 40 sets of shoes, and they buy some more. Right? They're not, they don't say, oh, I have enough. Now I'm satisfied. Right? And it's like that, you know, when you achieve what you want, you get your degree, you get your house, you get then you, oh, now I want something else. Oh, now I want something else. No, no. Right? Have we experienced that? When you were seven and you thought, oh, when I get to be 12, then I'll be happy. When you're 12, I think. When I get to be 16, then I'll be happy. When I get my driver's license. When I move out of my parents' house. When I get a job. Right? When I get married, when I have kids, when my kids grow up, when I get rid of my spouse, <laughs> when I retire from my job, then I'll be happy. You know, it's always, it's always like that. And another reason that these things can't make us happy. Yes? Because we're spiritual, so we can only be happy with spiritual Right, we're spiritual. We can only be happy with spiritual things. We can't be happy with material things. It's incompatible. It's just like, you know... There's animals that eat wood. Beavers, I think, that eat wood. Some other animals eat wood. But I can't be happy eating wood. It's not my food. It doesn't matter how much wood I eat. I wouldn't be happy. So I'm a spiritual being. We're spiritual beings. And trying to nourish ourselves with matter doesn't work. It's superficial to us also. We're just the observer. Right? We're, just, we're really, it's, it's like trying to be happy by watching a movie of somebody being happy. Or playing a video game where you get a lot of money or something. But, you know, however much money you get in the video game doesn't affect your actual bank account. And however, you know, the guy in the movie can, whatever, win the millions of dollars or, and, and get the beautiful partner. It doesn't, it, you're just watching. You go out of the movie theater and you're like, I don't have any partner. I don't have any money. It's just, 
So it's like that. We're, we're the soul who's just observing these bodily activities. So the real satisfaction is to be found within, which is so nicely explained by Krishna in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, where he also talks about being in, in trance, where you have boundless transcendental happiness and freedom from all material miseries. You're not free from all material miseries because you never break your foot or nobody ever insults you or you don't lose your money at the stock market. That, that's not why you're free of all material miseries. You're free of all material miseries because you're not identifying with them and you're fully satisfied within. So there's many, 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 many spiritual organizations or quasi or pseudo-spiritual organizations and religions that understand that principle. And right now in the world, I'd say there's a growing influence of impersonal or voidist spiritual organizations that also are propounding this principle to people who have become frustrated with a lot of the standard religions in the world. But there's something missing. I mean, even we have to say, if we're going to be honest, that even in most religious systems that have some idea of a personal God, very few of them understand what's being propounded here. That we don't simply become the observer and realize that material things and material desires are dissatisfying and go into some sort of position of neutrality. But we have full satisfaction because we're absorbed in the real. And the real has all the variety of the illusion but imperfection, which means that the real has variety of emotions, just like in the verses after this, where we're saying that he sometimes laughed and sometimes sang. So he wasn't just, it wasn't he was in a trance, like, because in this verse it uses the word jutta, which, which means that apparently someone is kind of dull. And we might think that he was just like this all the time. Uh, you know, or people have an idea of spiritualists who are always... But he was experiencing different emotions because absorption in Krishna is variegated. When you're absorbed in Krishna, like we're saying, I mean, these verses are just wonderful. How sometimes that he would see the Lord coming or going. Sometimes he would feel the Lord's touch upon him. Sometimes he would feel such oneness with the Lord that he would start to imitate the pastimes of the Lord. Where else do we find this in the Bhagavatam? Who else felt such oneness with the Lord? Yes, the gopis, when Krishna left, they started feeling oneness with the Lord, so much so that they were actually acting as if they were Krishna, imitating his pastimes. So this is the absorption that we're looking for. And frankly, this kind of absorption is much, much, much easier than just trying to be detached. Because we get absorbed in something that's very much like what we're trying to be detached from. It's just like prasada. We can say, hey, don't eat that, eat this. We don't say, don't eat that, eat nothing. We don't say, give up meat and eat nothing. Like a lot of people think vegetarians or vegans, you know, all they eat is like steamed broccoli, right, and kale chips or something like that. And so they're not very interested. They say, why should I give up my hamburger for kale chips or, you know, brown rice without salt? Something like that. They feel like it's just like eating solid air, you know. Why should I? But we're not saying that. We're saying, you know, 
give up meat, fish, and eggs, but have prasadam. Look, we have samosas, and we have kofta, and we have paneer, and we have so many things. So it's like that. Krishna is saying, give up the illusion for the reality. And of course, when you accept the reality, you naturally become detached from the illusion. So how do we do this? How do we absorb ourselves in Krishna? Well, there's, there's two ways, which are very related to each other, but that are given throughout the Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita. So one is we become absorbed in Krishna's transcendent pastimes. Just like, you know, here in the temple room, we have these paintings, right? There's Krishna in the spiritual world with a cow, and Radha and Krishna, uh, Mahaprabhu with his associates, Krishna coming back in the evening to the, from the forest. So we can become absorbed in Krishna's transcendent pastimes. And indeed, we should do that. And we're reading the Bhagavatam, so we will do that. That's ultimately what we're reading. We're not ultimately reading the Bhagavatam just so we can have a, an extremely satisfying philosophy, intellectually and logically. That's just sort of a perk, a side perk. But we're reading it so we can absorb our consciousness instead of thinking, okay, this is happening with my friends, this is happening with my family, this is happening with the government, this is happening with this, this is happening with that. Instead of being absorbed in all of those things, we become absorbed in what's Krishna doing. I remember hearing Shiva Ramar say this. We tend to be absorbed. What's my friend doing? What's my friend? Especially if we have some friend who's far away, right? You may be thinking, okay, what time zone are they in? What are they doing right now? Isn't it? You know, and we become absorbed. So instead we become, what's Krishna doing right now? What is he doing? What are his pastimes? What are his activities? But if we were only absorbed like that, we would be in the state that Prahlad Maharaj is in. The state that Prahlad Maharaj is in, is he really functional in the world? Can he really do much in the world in this state that's being described here? Not really. Mahaprabhu would go into this state, what was called his internal consciousness. And in that internal consciousness, he would often appear jada, or he would often appear dull. His body would undergo different transformations. He wouldn't hear anyone. He wouldn't be interacting with anyone. Now, at the very end of this story, after Nisingadev comes and kills Hiranyakashipu and saves Prahlad, does anyone know what Nisingadev says to Prahlad? Now I want you to become king of the demons. So do you think that Prahlad would make a very good king if he was walking around like a stone all the time? No, that wouldn't be very effective. So what are you going to do? Because if you're totally absorbed and Krishna is hurting the cows and, and all these pastimes of the Lord are manifest in your heart, you really aren't going to be aware of what's going on around you. I mean, that's true even materially, isn't it? You ever become so absorbed in something that you don't hear other people? You don't know what's going on? Nowadays we do that with technology, right? Someone's talking to you and you're just... Have you ever talked to somebody over the computer and you, are, are you, are you listening? Are you answering your email while I'm talking to you, right? <laughs> and they're not quite there. So how are we going to do that? And the way we're going to be absorbed in Krishna while being the king or serving Krishna lunch or driving your car, like Prabhupada will say in Bhagavad Gita 12 too, he says you're going to the market to purchase something for Krishna in full samadhi. And if we were in this kind of samadhi, you wouldn't want to drive a car. I wouldn't want you to drive a car. I was sitting in. 
Krishna. <laughs> I don't care if it crashes or not. I'm... No, but there's another kind of absorption, and that is to see everything in the world in relation to Krishna. And we find big chunks of the Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita are dedicated to this purpose. And Prabhupada would often say, if you want to see God, see God in the sunlight. See God in the taste of water, in your ability. Or here it's saying how the Mahabhagavata sees how everyone is engaged in Krishna's service. So we see the world as divine. We see that this, this world is the body of the Lord. And everything here is his part and partial. Everything here is his energy. That's also necessary because, first of all, it's first of all necessary because we usually start with noticing light and water and other people. And so it's good to take what we're already noticing and understand it spiritually. But it's also necessary because we have service to do for the Lord in this world. There's things he wants us to do. He would like Krishna conscious people to be running governments and businesses and everything. Universities. Imagine if UF was run by God conscious people. That would be wonderful. Or if you go to the local Walmart and it was run by God conscious people. You know, or our government would that would be really nice. You know, if the local government, Gainesville and Florida and the United States and in the United Nations, if everyone there was conscious of God and loving God. So that would be a very wonderful thing. But in order to do that, people like Pallad Maharaj have to go out and work in the world. You know, that's, that's the only way to do it. And in order to work in the world and maintain your Krishna consciousness, literally your consciousness of Krishna, you have to see Krishna everywhere. And therefore, we have this premanjana charita bhakti vilochana santasa daiva rudayeshi vilokanti yamshana sandhana chintirunasrupa. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also demonstrated that. He demonstrated this external consciousness, or sometimes mixed external, internal, and sometimes internal. And it was very interesting. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu only went into internal consciousness in the evenings or the latter part of his pastimes. And not when the devotees from Bengal were around. Just when his intimate devotees in Jagannath Puri were around. So even with many of his devotees, he didn't manifest this internal consciousness. Or sometimes it was mixed consciousness. And he's demonstrating how to be a devotee. All right, how do we do this? How do we become absorbed in Krishna's pastimes in our heart? Oh, and by the way, even though we're working in the world, when are we supposed to be fully absorbed in Krishna's pastimes in our heart? When we're chanting Japa, when we're chanting Gayatri, when we're in the Arti, these are our times for deep internal meditation. And they're, they're working off of each other. By meditating on Krishna in the sunlight and the taste of water and our ability, and how the trees are the hairs on his body, how the clouds are like the hair on his head, by meditating like that, we more easily meditate on Krishna milking the cows. By meditating on Krishna milking the cows, we more easily see him in the sunlight. But how do we do that? The key is attachment, rati, or prema. Because we will naturally think about whatever we're attached to. You know, you can mechanically to some extent, okay, okay, Krishna's hair is clouds. How is Krishna's hair clouds? 
Well, the dark clouds are like his dark hair, and the white clouds, that's probably his hair after the cows wing up all the dust, and then he gets dust in his hair. So the white clouds are his dusty hair, and the dark clouds are his shampooed hair. (laughs) So, you you know, you can do that, but if you're really worried about how much money you have in the bank, then your thoughts are going to keep being pulled there. You know, or you really worry if that pretty girl likes you. You know, whatever you're worrying about, that's where the, or what you're going to do in your exam. You know, one will try, but it will be pulled. So what we want is we want to have our mind pulled to Krishna. That's what we want. We want that when I start thinking about that girl or the bank or whatever, that I get pulled to Krishna. And we want to do that by cultivating our attachment. So everything we're doing in Krishna consciousness is meant for that purpose. Because as soon as we get that, everything else comes. As soon as we get an emotional desire type attachment for Krishna, then being able to see Krishna everywhere in the world, to be able to meditate on his pastimes in the heart, and therefore to feel fully satisfied whether we only have two pairs of shoes or ten pairs of shoes, whether everybody is praising us or everybody's insulting us, all these things in the Bible Gita, right? Heat and cold, happiness and distress, honor, dishonor, fame, infamy, friends, enemies, neutral, all these things. And then we just look at people, materialistic activities, not from a proud, self-righteous point of view, but just like, why? Why, why do you want to do that? That's kind of silly. You know, just in that way, for a lot of our she just couldn't understand. Why are you doing that? That's, that's not going to get you what you want. So why, why don't you do this? <laughs> That'll actually, it's like you're seeing somebody go down a road for a dead end. And it's not like, well, I know the actual way to go. <laughs> but it's just like, um, it's a dead end. No, they're not going to take you anywhere. So that comes very naturally, that detachment oneself and being detached from others. So this is the key. We should be... We should be trying for this every day, even if it's only a minute a day or five minutes or whatever we can do to try to cultivate that attachment for Krishna. And how each of us will do that, frankly, is somewhat individual. We each have something in Krishna consciousness that particularly brings out an attachment for Krishna. For some people, it's looking at artwork. For some people, it's singing bhajans. For some people, it's... It's cooking for Krishna. For some people, it's serving prasada. For some people, it's cleaning the floor. For some people, it's making garlands. Spend some time every day in whatever activities for you, particularly for each of us, make us feel closer to Krishna, make us feel attached to Krishna, and then take that feeling and try to move it into the rest of our activities. So we have a few minutes for questions, comments, and corrections. Yes? Thank you for your class. Why did Krishna want Prahlad to be king of the demons? Why don't, why don't you tell me why you think he wanted Prahlad to be king? No idea at all? Not sure. Well, did the demons need a ruler? Yeah. Most, most groups of people need a ruler. Except in the beginning of Satya Yuga, where nobody needed any rulers, there was no government. So it's kind of tricky because the demons will look at Prahlad and say, he's one of us. They'll accept him. 
Like in this country, you can't be president unless you're born in the United States, United States territories. You know, what's his name? Schwarzenegger? He can't be, he could never be president because he was born in Austria, I think. I may be getting it wrong. But anyway, he wasn't born in this country. So he couldn't be president. So even if everybody wanted him, it wouldn't make any difference. Why? Why did they want Because we'd be more likely to accept somebody who's born in this country. Oh, they're one of us. We can follow this person. So for a lot of peers, he's born in the family of demons. Oh, oh, we know him. We can trust him. But he'll take the demons to a higher platform. He also knows how to deal with them. They're his people. Like he demonstrates later on in this Lila, you know, he, he knows how do I present Krishna consciousness in a way that this group of beings will be able to relate to. Does that make sense? Mm. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Yes. I was thinking also because his father is dead and his father was the king, right? His father was dead, his father was the king. I'm not sure if Prahlad was the oldest. It does say that Hiranyakashipu had four sons. I'm not sure. I don't think it ever mentions which order he was. I mean, in fact, he might have been the youngest because he was born right after Hiranyakashipu came back, and he's very young while this is going on. so Unless the other sons were from other queens, but that's not mentioned. So I, it's just, it's very, uh, very much unknown. It's not given. And generally was the first. But yeah, that's also true. As the prince that he was particularly qualified. Yes. And again, he'd be accepted because he was the prince. Yes? Um, how do you become uh, attached to everything, like Krishna's energy, and without being detached from it because it's material energy? And seeing as, like, um, instead of like reading books, but then being attached to trees and the ocean, or whatever, when there's something higher, like the spiritual abode. Because it's also Krishna's. It, it's like if if you if you can think of someone that you love, if there's something that belongs to them, you may take very nice care of it. But this whole world is also considered Krishna's body. It's not just his property. So it's not just that the tree belongs to him. He pre-pervades the tree. He's in every atom of the tree. He's a super soul in the heart of the tree. So he's also there. I mean, this, this is what happens later in this pastime because Prahlad says, God is everywhere, and Hirani Kashmir is oh yeah, right. Is, is he in this pillar? I mean, come on. And Prahlad goes, yeah, he's there. And you're in the kitchen, he's like, and there he is. So there is so many ways. I mean, the universe is described in the Bhagavatam in the second canto, and of course in Bhagavad Gita in the 11th chapter, and in Bhagavatam also in the 8th canto, that the universe is the body of God. So these trees are the hairs on the body of God. So if you love somebody, you might be fascinated by the hairs on their arm. Yeah? You know, I like to tell the story of, of, I was giving a class once in Brazil, and this woman had a one-month-old baby, and my whole class, she's looking at the baby's toes. The entire class. (laughs) 
thinking, you know, toes are toes. It's like, how interesting are they? But because it was her baby. So, you know, you might go to your little baby, and oh, look at the little hair. So this is, it's God, our beloved, it's in his hairs. There's the clouds that are in his hands. And the rivers are his veins. And the sun is his eye. <clears throat> that way, everything, if you have some attachment for Krishna, you see the world like that, and then seeing the world like that makes you have more attachment for Krishna. The birds are his artistic sense. You can see he's a master of art in the birds. Yes, and or, am I supposed to end now? We have a couple more minutes. Okay. Yes, you had a question. Anna? Okay. Loka, yes. Thank you for. So at the beginning of the class, you were talking about um, not identifying so much with the material energy. Yes. Think of that as disidentification. And now we're talking about being attached, attachment to Krishna. See, if I'm hearing you right, it sounds as though attachment to Krishna will help us disidentify with the material energy. Correct. Is there, is there a balance between those two things? Do they work in tandem? Do we practice both? Can we... Are we able in the state to really just learn how to be attached to Krishna? Or do we also need to, can we also practice somehow learning to disidentify from those material pieces? How do the two work together? So how do we stop our material identity? Stop, maybe stop our material hankerings and material, um, the, the attention that we give to material energy at the same time that we're evolving that attachment to Krishna. I'm evolving it. It's like if I had it, I wouldn't have to worry. I don't. I'm always thinking. Well, it, it, Vishnu Chaga, I, I think I understand your question, so if I don't get this right, please correct me. And I like in Madhurya Kadambani where he talks about how when we start Krishna consciousness, our attachment to Krishna is just this little trace. It's like this barely visible thing. And our attachment to our false identity in this world is absolute. So you have this little, little trace. And then as you progress, your attachment to Krishna increases and you're, you know, gradually and proportionally the detachment also comes. So we're not supposed to be that concerned about what remaining material attachment we have. If we become really concerned about it, we tend to either get into it or hate it. And doing either one of those is against the principles of bhakti. We're not supposed to have attachment or aversion. So if I think about how do I identify with the world, what am I attached to, what are my problems, uh, then either I find myself making excuses to indulge them, or I try to kill them and I hate them. Either way, I'm pulling my attention to those things. But rather just say, okay, I still have so many material identifications, I still have so many you know, desires in this world, and eh, it'll go. You know, it'll go. Let me focus on, on growing my attachment to Krishna. And I think it's like that with, with anything you're trying to develop in life. You know, if you're trying to become a good tennis player, you don't put your attention on how you're swinging the ball wrongly. 
you, if you focus on swinging it correctly, you can't swing it wrongly at the same time. Mm. So just celebrate how you're growing in attachment to Krishna. And I hope this isn't going to discourage anyone, but the Mahabhagavata never thinks they're a devotee. That was what's explained here. They, they come to the point of seeing everyone else is a devotee, but they never think, oh, now I'm a devotee. At the same time, they realize that they don't have any material attachments and that they just have attachment to Krishna. But because Krishna consciousness is dynamic, it's not static, it's not like other things in the world where you reach a certain point of mastery and that's like it. You know, if you've won three gold medals at the Olympics, like, where do you go from there? It's kind of done. Oh, I, I did that. Been there, seen that, done that. So Krishna consciousness is not like that. Where you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I achieved Krishna consciousness. Okay. Now something else. Because you always feel that there's more and more and more and more. Krishna is always expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding. So there, there's a satisfaction, but there's not a satiation. And because there's no satiation. There is always a sense that, oh, I'm just a beginner. There's so much more. 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 So keep that in mind, too. If, if we're looking for something where we go, okay, now I've achieved it, that's it's not quite like that. So focus on how we're becoming attached to Krishna. And the other things naturally fall away. Does that help? Does that answer your question? Is that what you wanted to know? Okay. I wasn't quite sure. And that would Anna had a question. You tell me when I should stop. Maybe after this. Okay. Yes. Uh, earlier you were mentioning that uh, you were seeing once a mother during her class and she was just obsessed with her baby still because it was her baby. Yes. I'm assuming that's why she was obsessed with it. Uh-huh. Is it okay? Um, my question is, what if we see our own personal deities that way we feel a little bit Oh, that's lovely. Okay, that's okay? <laughs> Not only okay, it's desired. That's what's desired if we're seeing the, the deities here, Gorni Thai, or if we have some deities that we worship and we're absorbed. Like that's, That is what we're supposed to do. The kind of absorption that someone has in their child or in their lover or in their friend or in their work or in their country or in their own hair or whatever people get absorbed. Isn't that mean? Some people get absorbed in their hair. Huh? <laughs> whatever, whatever it may be, you know, everybody has their, you know, there's somebody writing a PhD dissertation on the, you know, red-footed crab in the, <laughs> in the stream that only flows through the eastern part of Kentucky. You know, people, people, I don't know if there's one, but people get absorbed in, in, in Yes, that absorption is meant for Krishna. And because Krishna is unlimited and ever-expanding, one can have that absorption also growing and growing and growing. So yes, in our deities, in the holy name, in the the mantras, in the scriptures, that's the kind of minute absorption that that we want to have. Yes, exactly. My question was more so like, uh, is is it a material conception to see to feel more attached to one DD rather than all of them. Just don't worry about it, please. <laughs> just, like, just like, don't worry about it at all. Just don't worry about it. Even if there's some material conception there, it'll eventually be 
purified. So don't hold back from becoming attached to Krishna because your attachment is mixed. If you hold back from becoming attached to Krishna because it's mixed, it will never develop. So it's understood that in the beginning our attachment to Krishna is mixed. But the attachment part will grow and grow and grow and the other will fall away. So just go for it. Don't worry about it. Assume that there's some material thing mixed up in it. So don't take yourself so seriously that then you think, oh, now I'm an enlightened soul because I'm totally absorbed in the fingertips of my gornitides. You know, don't give yourself illusions of grandeur like that. And at the same time, don't be so worried that, oh my goodness, how can I be absorbed in the fingertips of my deities that you just get absorbed in Harry Potter instead? You know? Does that make sense? Because we're going to become absorbed in something. So become absorbed in Krishna with humility, but with uh, full abandonment to it. Can you balance that? I'm going to completely give myself to attachment to Krishna, even though I know that the way I'm doing it right now is still not completely pure. And I trust that as I do that, he will purify. Is that okay? Thank you very much for having me as a guest here. Thank you.